0: is keep up. I'm your host, Cynthia Dill. Today's Friday, May 27th, 2022. Three days after the second deadliest school shooting in America, 19 beautiful kids and two courageous teachers mowed down in Texas because what appears to be the deadly combination of a madman and the Keystone Cops. The reported incompetence and cowardice of the police in Texas is stunning. It I'm numb and the only thing we can do about these mass school shootings and all the other horrors, the parade of horrors that we are facing every day is to be brave. Uh, We have to suit up for the Thunderdome every morning when you get up, be your own avatar, be your avatar. For your family and for the kids that were killed uh, in Texas and in Buffalo and everywhere else, uh, we can certainly do some policy changes. Um, I think you know it has to be a combination of public unions holding incompetent police accountable, and uh, and using some of the millions of dollars that we spend on training and resources and guns and ammunition to better protect. Kids in schools, uh, we obviously need to do some, some work on the background checks and some gun control, in my view. And maybe, I mean, why not? Why not just jail every 18-year-old? Every 18-year-old young man in America should serve five years in prison just to, to protect us from what appears to be an epidemic of angry 18-year-olds uh, with, uh, you know, they've cracked, they're broken people and they have access to deadly weapons uh, these shooters always burden people too with the news, that's the thing it's never, it's a, it's a surprise of course when we read about it in the news but as a matter of fact it's not a surprise because they always announce what they're going to do they burden people with what they're going to do and you know what can you do if somebody tells you they're going to go to the school and shoot up the place this guy I refuse to say his name in Texas, wrote on Facebook, he was going to go kill his grandmother. Then he wrote on Facebook, I did kill my grandmother. Then he wrote on Facebook, I'm going to go to the elementary school and shoot the kids. Uh, you know, if somebody writes things like that to you, unload it immediately to 911. Say it is an emergency. It's not your role to try to deal with these people. And if you yourself uh, need to talk to somebody, the National Suicide Prevention is 988 So there's 911 if you want to report someone who's reported to you that they're going to do something terrible and you need help in coping. If you yourself need help, it's 988. And, uh, you know, no harm in writing back on Facebook to this guy when he writes to you and tells you he's going to do these terrible things. right? You are a fucking coward, and I hope you burn in hell. That's that's what I think you should write uh, before you call. Nine eight eight. But speaking of cowards, um, there was a major f- plot twist in the battle over housing in Cape Elizabeth, and uh, I'll tell you what happened on Saturday, um, from the moment that the day of action began at eight a.m. at the IGA, and and when I, where I ended up, which was in the Cape Elizabeth Police Department, right a little after five. So I won't give you the blow-by-blow, blow, but suffice it to say that Saturday was a big day. We had some volunteers at the IGA. My daughter was collecting signatures at the library. Our goal was to get to 750 on our way to reaching a goal of 900. And as you know, we've been um, sort of, you know, just steadfast on, <laughs> on this mission, collecting the requisite, you know, signatures. We broke it up. And we're on our way. And so Saturday afternoon, word gets out that we're winning, that despite the smears and the Facebook conspiracy theorists and the misinformation and the banker's website and all the drama, uh, we were winning. And uh, so I, you know, was out at the transfer station. I, I, I was at the library in Cape Elizabeth on Scott Tire until about three o'clock. And then I got in my car and drove down Scott Dyer and took a left onto Spurwink and saw on the left-hand side of the road where I had placed them, the two imagined community housing signs. And I you know, saw them. And then I drove into the transfer station and set up my booth to collect additional signatures uh, between three and five. And during that time, this guy like just came up to me. I mean, I I basically sit there and let people walk up to me. Occasionally, if someone looks interested, I'll ask them if they're a registered voter. I don't, like, jump down people's throat. This guy comes up to me, starts just offering me, you know, spontaneously his his outrage at the petition process and why he thinks, uh, you know, I'm, I'm doing terrible things. Um, so that happens, and I get back into his face and uh, publicly humiliate him because he's misinformed and caught me at a bad time I was going on eight hours of sitting in the hot sun collecting signatures so you know I uh, the Tom Petty song I won't back down (laughs) I wish I could be that brave but that that was sort of like in my mind And then I leave the transfer station at 5, having had that encounter, which always, by the way, leads to more people signing on. So we exceeded. We wanted to get to 750, and we got to 753, which is no small feat, given that there's been, like I said, this work of an army of malicious people trying to defeat community housing. So uh, I leave the transfer station, and I take a right on Spurwink, and the signs are gone. (laughs) <laughs> and, I, you know, I was really, I couldn't believe it. I mean, somebody, was a pretty brazen caper in Cape Elizabeth to, in broad daylight, steal signs. It is a theft. I mean, these are permitted signs. They were allowed. They were protected speech. And they served an important purpose because it showed people where the proposed location of community housing is to blunt the otherwise bad information that's been circulated on Facebook Suggesting that community housing would pave Goldcrest athletic fields or, you know, take over the community garden and all those parade of horrible. So the signs were important. Somebody stole them. And so I um, parked across the street and made sure that, you know, somebody didn't just knock them over. And I walked up Spurwink, looked in the ditch, no signs. Did a pretty thorough walk around, no signs. Went immediately to the police department, and reported the crime. And um, and then I wrote uh, something that got a lot of traction. If you haven't read it yet, it's on my website, syndicatemedia.net. Under the columns, it's titled, uh, To the Petty Criminal in Cape Elizabeth, Touche Douchebag. And uh, just so you know for the record, douchebag is not a word that I use at all. It's not in my vocabulary. I just, for writer's flair, thought it made a fun heading. <laughs> so in the article, and also on Facebook, I I announced that, the, you know, the signs were stolen between 3 and 5 p.m., that I was offering a huge reward, and that if the signs were returned unharmed, I would drop criminal charges. And third, I challenged anyone to a public debate about affordable housing. So that was on Saturday. I think the um, the column came out on Monday. And on Tuesday, I emailed Sergeant Kennedy at the Cape Elizabeth Police Department, and I asked him about the Portland Water District security cameras that had a direct line of vision between the camera and the signs that were stolen. So... Not only do we know the time that they were stolen, between 3 and 5, because I saw them at 3, and then I saw that they were gone at 5 on Saturday, and I checked the ditch. We, you know, there's there's tapes. So um, then what happened was I got a notice on Facebook in the evening that somebody was walking down Spurwick Avenue and saw the signs in the ditch, and I... I you know I was surprised because it was a plot twist you know I I had seen in the ditch that there were no signs so the next morning I got up and uh, drove and parked across the street in that town farm district parking lot that has now you know preserved open space the town farm I parked there walked up along spurwink the same you know part of the road where I had put the signs and where I had looked on Saturday to see if the signs were in the ditch and they weren't. And sure enough, on that morning, after I got word on Facebook from that woman, there were the two signs in the ditch. So, um, you know, I, of course, um, emailed Sergeant Kennedy and told him that, you know, much to my delight, the signs were returned unharmed and therefore no longer wished to pursue the criminal matter. Now, does that mean we're going to submit our signatures on June 1st in order to guarantee that community housing will be on the ballot in November? Uh, no, actually it doesn't. Uh, you know, um, the, it's like a refer, reverse October surprise. Uh, the community housing team uh, led by me, I'm the captain of the ship. And I'm calling the Dunham Court Cabal's Bluff. I'm, I'm running the table and I'm playing the hand that I'm dealt. And right now we have the upper hand. Um, we have the upper hand because we have better sourced, you know, creative, good idea for housing. Okay. The facts around community housing are much better for Cape Elizabeth because the vision is to provide housing for Cape Elizabeth families And workforce with low and moderate income using housing that already exists in the zone and matches, you know, the environment and allows for the quality of life that you would expect in our wonderful town. We have a, it's fiscally and morally more responsible because it's for the long term and less expensive and serves our community. And so we have the upper hand because we have the better choice for affordable housing and we have the tapes. Or at least we will have the tapes. I've placed a call to the Portland Water District and requested that the security tapes be preserved. Um, You know that song, I beg your pardon. I never promised you a rose garden. So even though we did drop the criminal charges, I am still very, very curious to see who's on that tape uh, and who would be such a small person to steal community housing signs in Cape Elizabeth. I just, um, I want to know, and I think the public deserves to know. I think the debate around affordable housing will be informed with that information. Uh, But also, um, being on the ballot with Dunham Court, now that the true colors of its supporters have been revealed with this sort of downright dirty campaign tactics of, you know, a campaign of, of smut in the Cape Courier, uh, making spurious accusations about credibility of neighbors, uh, the you know, misleading map purporting to show where community housing is when in fact it doesn't show where it is, the one that was created by the planner and then used by the banker, uh, and, and now the, the petty crime. I mean, kind of all this to fight what a lot of people, over 750 people from Dunham, you know, from Delano Park to Colony Village want to have on the ballot. So putting our good idea up on the ballot next to Dunham Court as it goes down in flames is no longer, I think, uh, the best course. I mean, in light of the kind of uh, foul headwinds, we're we're taking a new car, uh, tack, we're going to chart a new tack in the community housing campaign. And um, I think that, uh, you know, think of it as protecting community housing from like the wildfires, you know, the gossip and the drama, the drama queens on Facebook, but also it gives us time to go on an information offensive because people want information. I just got a message today from somebody who wants information about how do I know the purpose of the original Thomas Jordan estate was for housing. Well, what I know is that there was this article written by a member of the Cape Elizabeth Historical Society that outlined what she discovered in her research to be the history, which is that the estate was left. There were words that I think I've quoted in the past, you know, for the said poor of the town forever. And then it was used for housing. For a really long time, and I and I have to think that it was used consistent with its purpose because you know that's what we did. It was a successful um, endeavor. It, you know, people who needed a place to live could live in the you know at the farmhouse and work for their stay and their food, and it, it was a system that was in place that was of course became obsolete with modern society, and as the community became more affluent and the the house, you know, the farmhouse burned down and then the land trust preserved 150 acres of it. But the, the, the fact remains is there are 66 acres left of an estate that was left for the purpose of people caring for, taking care of people in need. It was left in trust for people in need. And so what better use of land than to, you know, either farm or house people or do both and that's what we have done as a town that's our legacy that's our history so to the extent you know there's a precedent there's sort of starry decisis if you will that's what we used to use the land for so it makes sense that we would use it now uh i don't know f- for certain um the answers to a lot of questions but we we certainly can get answers out um but this is i guess and i'm sorry to bury the lead The reason why I'm more inclined now than ever to make sure that community housing gets on the ballot is because it's really about, um, you know, front doors uh, are a gateway to democracy. So community housing is multiplex housing, which enables enable families to have a front door. Okay, a front door that would be good for kids, okay, for trick-or-treating and having friends over, but also a front door that people like me who are out canvassing with ideas to better society, to solve problems, can reach them, can have access. Right now, if you're in a low-income apartment building, I know this because I've went to them, and you can't get in, you can't knock on anybody's door, and and they're cut off, and that's what Dunham Court would be, and that's what community housing would not be. Um, a perfect example is Starboard Drive. That's an example of what community housing can look like. Okay, Colony Village is multiplex housing in the RA zone and it's affordable housing to a certain extent now and what community housing would be was multiplex housing in the RA zone and when I was walking in that neighborhood I mean so many people signed just really good people who appreciate the opportunity that they've been given in housing and want others to have that opportunity and answer their door and are kind you know, big hearted Americans who want to help solve problems. So we need more front doors, not less. And, um, you know, I don't know what to do about the shootings. Um, I said tongue in cheek, jailing all the 18 year olds, but seriously, I, I, but I, I know that there's a need, you know, for housing and families and kids, and I can fight for them and I can be kind. And I guess I would just offer you if you're looking for something to do, for some purpose in life in a world that seems purposeless with this war raging in Ukraine. You know, with the horrors of, of national tragedies like the shootings in Buffalo and Texas, the, the wildfires, the crazy economic, you know, tornadoes and, and storms, the weather, um, the pandemic, you know, you name it. There's there's We're up against a lot. And uh, like I said, we need to just suit up and be our avatars, be brave, fight the battles we can fight and do it for the right reasons. And I just think we just have to do everything for the kids. That's what we have to do is, you know, uh, we got to stop these school shootings for the kids and we got to, when we're going to make housing, we got to make it for kids. And that's what I'm going to do. We can fight for them. If not for them, uh, I don't know who we would fight for. Um, so uh, stay with me here on Keep Up with Cynthia Dill. We're going to keep fighting for kids and keeping you informed of issues and hopefully providing some insight. And until next time, this is Cynthia Dale signing off. Take care.